Hello everyone, this is Ivonik Prone. Welcome to episode one of Harmonica Studio Podcast. My guest today is multi-instrumentalist Rob Paparotti. Rob is an amazing singer, diatonic and chromatic harmonica player from New Jersey. A honor and dossier, he has been on the scene for over 40 years. Rob is going to share with us some of his early experiences learning from the master himself two instruments, playing Broadway shows. He's going to talk about his Grammy-nominated album Etruscan Soul, his favorite harmonicas, and a lot more. Here is my conversation with Rob Paparotti. You are a singer, diatonic, and chromatic harmonica player. And also, I've watched your uh, YouTube uh, channel and I've seen that uh, you play the piano also, and I heard you you play guitar. Is, is that something that you don't know? You don't you don't play? Uh, yeah, I don't play any horns or or uh, any brass or horns. Um, I started out as a drummer, and I was really bad. I I didn't want to take lessons. I just wanted to, and I and I just didn't have it on the drums. And that's when I switched to harmonica. Uh, there was one laying around the house, a little blues harp, and that's how uh, I began. I began on on a little blues harmonica. I had no training at all; just did it by ear. Wow! So you started by yourself, uh, just listening yes. to blues uh, and rock uh, CDs. Yes, my brothers, my I, my two older brothers, uh, uh, Mario and Louis, were playing guitar and singing in rock and roll bands. So they had guitars, and I would listen to them, you know, rehearse and things like that. But I uh, I pretty much learned off of records, vinyl records, back in the '60s. That's all we had, and there wasn't. I started to look for instructional stuff back then on harmonica, and it was very discouraging because there wasn't anything. There was one book called, um, I think it was by little Tony Little Son Glover, and it was called Blues Harp. And it was, uh, you know, maybe about 50, 60 pages. And it was a little broad, but it gave me an idea as to what I needed to do. And it, and it talked about positions, maybe first, second, and third, and, and then it ended. Your first instrument was a diatonic harmonica. Yes. Um, when did you start singing? Um, at around the same time, I was around 15 and 15 years old when I first started playing the harmonica, and I didn't really even know what blues was at the time. I was listening to AM radio here in you know New Jersey, and I was listening to the Beatles and Motown and uh, Bob Dylan. So that was my ears heard them playing harmonica very you know stevie wonder i didn't quite understand what he was doing because it, it didn't sound like the harmonica of john lennon or bob dylan so i knew there was a difference but i wasn't really sure until i started investigating then i found out that there was a chromatic with a button and and all that kind of stuff um that was my first uh, exposure to it and i added the chromatic i was afraid of the chromatic for a long time i didn't know what that button was for And finally, I bought one, and then I really saw how different it was, and I stayed away from it for a long time. So at age 15, I kept playing blues harp. When I was about 19, I started getting a little more serious with the chromatic and decided I was going to teach myself. 
And at age 21, I really was starting to get into it. And I met Robert Bonfilio maybe about a year after that in New York City. There was an event in New York City at the South Street Seaport. And it was sponsored by Honer. And I know you're a Honer guy like me, uh, too. And uh, I saw it in the newspaper. And it says, it's a harmonica brouhaha, like a big party. And it was at the Seaport. And they had professional players there like Chamber Wong and Alan Blackie Shackner. Um, Toots wasn't there, but they had guys that were working around New York and that were famous in the harmonica world. So I went and I met some of these people. I met Chamber Wong and I signed up for a class he was teaching at the Turtle Bay Music, Music School. And Robert Bonfilio was living in Staten Island at the time and said, hey, you can come and study with me. I'll teach you how to play and read music on the chromatic. And while I was going to college, uh, I started investigating. Um, my mother, um, I was living home, and my mother was reading an article in the New York Times. And she said, Robert, are you serious about playing harmonica? And I said, of course. I can I can play anything. You know, I'm I'm going to be a great harmonica. And she's going, oh, really? Do you know who Larry Adler is? And she was reading an article. And I said, Larry Adler? I never heard of him. He, he can't be that good. <laughs> and she said, you better sit down, and I'm going to read you this article. And so I sat down, and uh, she read me an article about Larry Adler was famous in the 40s and the 50s. And then he... Um, he had some political problems. He got blackballed on in America, and he couldn't get a job. He was he went from being in movies to hanging out with George Gershwin to not being able to work because he was put on a list that said he was communist and 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 he was hanging around with all the the communist people in Hollywood making movies, you know. And uh, they sent and so he the BBC in England said, "Come on over." My mother was reading me this article. She, they said, come over to the BBC in England and we'll put you to work. Forget the United States, you know. And he went He went over to England and became. he can continue to be Larry Adler. Well, anyway, this was in about 1977 or 78. And my mother said, tomorrow night, Larry Adler is coming back to the United States. And he's going to be in New York City at the Rainbow Grill for the first time. Rockefeller Plaza, and he's going to be with his old friend, a comedian, Henny Youngman. And if you get there at five o'clock, you can before his show, you can go to his show, but you could you can meet him and shake his hand and have a meet and greet, you know. And I said, hmm, well, maybe I'll go. And I went and I shook his head and I went to his show. And then I realized how important it was for me to learn chromatic harmonica. I had no idea until I heard Larry Adler. And then from that, I found out there were guys like Toot Steelman and other people doing this. So that was now getting towards the end of the 70s. And I was hooked. And I found out that Toot Steelman was living in New York City at the time. And I found his phone number in the union book. And he was living in Yonkers at the time. And I called him up on the phone and he said, he was so nice. He says, I can't teach you because I'm too busy. I go back and forth to Europe and New York. And he goes, but I can teach you by phone 
if you want. And I said, wow, that would be that would be amazing. And we were phone buddies and I would call him. And that wasn't every week. I would call him maybe every month or every two months. And he would talk to me for a long time on the phone and give me things wow. to work on. Did you feel that uh, learning piano and singing uh, inform your uh, harmonica playing? Absolutely. And at first I was worried that if I spent too much time on these other instruments that I would never be a good harmonica player because I'm wasting my time, you know, trying to play things and write songs and whatever. And I found out that that was very wrong. In fact, Toots even told me, he goes, no, you know, I play guitar and um, it's very important to listen to other instruments. So I think it really helped to be able to bring back from the piano and the guitar to my harmonica playing. And uh, I did develop very good ears because I wasn't uh, a trained musician. So I had to do everything with my ears and learn off records. And then once I met Chamber Wong and Bonfilio, I realized how important it was to be able to read music. If I was going to get really serious and I wanted to be serious and be able to play harmonica in many different settings, not just blues. Do you remember uh, what uh, harmonica were you playing at that time? Was it a uh, honor? Yes, it was. Uh, it, I was playing honor. In fact, at that time, they, the only thing I knew where they really sold in the States here was honor. I didn't know about any other brands. There was a company that was a, a couple of towns over from me in Union, New Jersey, not very far, called William Kratt, K-R-A-T-T. And they were, it was a little factory and it was a German guy that kind of ended up in the States. You know, he came over to the States and started this little harmonica company. But I, uh, I, had, I might've had one of those, but I was playing Honer. I was playing, they only made Marine bands at the time Uh, here in the States. And I bought a couple of Marine bands, maybe about two or three. And then I started adding different keys. And I bought a Honer 270. What do you think is the most challenging aspect of learning the harmonica? Uh, I think the most challenging aspect is to try and develop a methodology for yourself as whatever style you're going to play And if it's all styles or if it's just one style, you have to develop a technique and methodology because sax players have a methodology. This is how you learn saxophone. This is how you learn trumpet. You have an R band book and you play your arpeggios and you practice a certain way. Harmonica players, and I know you're into this, need a way to practice and you have to develop uh, whatever works best for you. But, but I feel the best way to challenge yourself is to approach it as any other instrument and not only just listen to harmonica players listen to as many musicians as you can and surround yourself with better musicians than you so you can learn from them and uh, develop a practice technique whether it's scales or playing a piece Uh, whatever works for you on a daily basis to make you a better musician, the harmonica playing will follow. You're going to become a better harmonica player. But my, my advice is become a better musician first, and the harmonica playing will take care of itself. Yeah, I think that's a great advice for anyone listening who is interested to 
to start learning the harmonica yeah. and you are a fantastic example for, for that what are the biggest uh, mistakes beginners uh, do according to you um just mostly mostly bad practice uh, habits and technique when they're first learning how to produce their single notes on the instrument um a lot of time they don't spend enough time um learning how to get a good single note a pure tone and i don't care if you're using tongue block or if you're using pucker you have to work on tone um first and then from there expand your sound uh also as a diatonic but we you know we both spent a lot of time on diatonic i would spend I think beginners need to spend way more time on holes two and three bends. And once they feel comfortable there, it's gonna, they're, gonna, they're not going to have to work so hard on the rest of the instrument. Even, even stay in second position for a while. And just if you have to learn two and three in that position. But work on holes two and three and really sit at a piano and get the chromaticism so you can hear those notes. You may not know what the names of those notes are, but you want to hear that note go down chromatically on your on your blues harp. And so if you you know if you if you know even enough chromatic to play like you know like a you know try and go to a piano or go to a harp and play that note so you can hear it. You want to hear the change and spend time on holes three. If you have to go to a, if you have to go to a chromatic, just to hear the chromatic notes, you really want to, yeah, great and they don't spend enough time, the beginners, they want to just do it fast and uh, put time in. And if you don't have a chromatic harmonica, Or a piano or a guitar, you can uh, still uh, check the the pitch. You can use the app, uh, oh, like a piano good. app or, or a guitar nice. tuner. Yeah, there are ways to to yes. uh, practice your your ear. So yeah, most beginners don't spend enough time on their on their initial tone, getting a nice clear tone without bending. And then after you get a nice clear tone, then you work on your bends on holes two and three, and then you can add different positions and then you can add your overblowing you have no business learning overblows until you can get a nice clear note you know unbent did you try at some point to uh, emulate classical musicians such as uh, robert bonfiglio or chamber wang and, and play uh, classical pieces on the harmonica maybe that was during your your studies yes um in fact when i studied with with chamber and robert They were only interested in classical harmonica. That's if you bent the note, if you went to bend the note, they would look at you like, why are you doing that? We don't need that note. <laughs> and I yeah. said, but this guy, Toots Steelman, he bends. And they said, well, that's fine. But for this music, if we're going to play Bach and we're going to play Mozart, you don't need to bend yeah. any notes. So yeah, let's the pitch has to be uh, very precise, very in pitch tune. Has to be precise. Yeah. And they also were very um adamant and very uh stern about you must play with the tongue block armature because uh a lot of the music had interval jump jumping 
And to be precise, you had to do corner switching out of the right and the left side of your mouth. And the way to play a single note was tongue block. And you would bite each note like, uh, well, if we, we don't, we didn't pick up harmonicas yet, but they had a, a technique. Uh, I'm just going to grab my harmonica here. This is a, a yeah. 270. And they had a technique with they with chamber coined biting. And when you keep the tongue on the harmonica, but if you're going to play a scale, you play it out of the right side of your mouth first, you know, single note. So the tongue stays on the harmonica and you and your articulation comes from the, the biting, they called it. And it was a t very tongue block driven technique. I was confused because I, when I was listening to a guy like Toots, I couldn't tell what Larry Adler was doing because he was all over the map, but it sounded like Toots was, was puckering or using a pursing, you know, like playing one note at a time through a, a puckered position. So I was confused about all that. And what really confused me most on the chromatic was the fact that you had three C's right in that oh, same yeah. neighborhood. You had you had four blow, five blow, and and four draw. You know the B up to the C. So I couldn't figure out well which one do I use? And if I'm going to practice a scale, how do I know what C I'm going to use? And these were the questions that I had. I had a lot of questions. And guys like Toots and guys like Robert were able to answer them for me. And they taught me about enharmonics and um, best way to play. The great thing about Toots is that he had no rules. Uh, you, you didn't have, you, you did it whatever way that worked musically for you. If you were coming from the right of the harmonic and coming back down to the lower notes, you might want to play the button C or you might want to play the button F, depending on how legato or or jazzy you wanted it to sound, you used whatever one worked for you. And then I found a guy named Mike Turk. Have you heard of Mike Turk? Yes. <clears throat> Mike Turk, around the end of the 70s, moved to New York City from Boston. And he was uh, he started out sort of like, like me. He started out on diatonic, but very, very rapidly switched to chromatic and became a jazz player. Um, and, and he, of course, loved Toots as well, like we all do. And he said, you know, if you want to play jazz, why don't you do a scale instead of playing? Why don't you start on the button, the, the B sharp? And I said, oh, OK, because you could play it smoother that way if you start on the. You don't have all that choppiness in and out. So I, I took one lesson from Mike when he was living in town, and he gave me some tips. I studied by phone with Toots. I went one-on-one. -on -one. I went to Bonfilio's apartment, and I worked with him to try and learn a little bit more about this reading that I knew I needed to learn. And I kind of did it all by the seat of my pants. Um, did you go to college for music? How did you learn yes, your uh, music? So I started uh, learning how to play the diatonic harmonica, and uh, I yeah. had a, a book written by uh, Don Baker, and I learned uh, from this book. With uh, he had a cassette, no? and I, I yeah. was very uh, very young. No? When did you, when and how did you transition from the diatonic to the chromatic? Yeah, so I I started to um, take lessons with a French harmonica player, uh, Jean Jacques Milto, 
and then uh, Greg's lab. They were teaching uh, in Paris at uh, a blues club called uh, Utopia. Then I discovered uh, Sébastien Charlier, who is a fantastic uh, diatonic harmonica player and who plays jazz. And so he taught me uh, yes. the overblows and overjaws, all, all these techniques. Uh, so I had a, a few bands you know, when I was a teenager and I was playing in town uh, in Paris doing jam sessions and, uh, and performing in, in clubs. Were you playing chromatic at that time? I was playing only a diatonic. Ah. Yeah, on, only the diatonic and I was playing jazz standards on a diatonic. But uh, at some point when I was like 17, 18, uh, I, uh, you know, I tried... Uh, the chromatic you know about like a 270 and uh, i think i wanted to spend more time learning jazz improvisations and learning tunes than um, trying to yeah. customize my harmonica so you're, very, you're very similar to to me in a, in a sense that you started on diatonic and you uh, and you put in time on 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 overblows and stuff i maybe not as many not as much time Um, because I came to the overblows much later after I met Howard Levy. Um, but you also transitioned into the chromatic. Did you find, because I found that um, there was a lot a lot of times harmonica players, when I first started, like I joined SPA, these harmonica organizations, and they were very separate. There's diatonic and there's chromatic. And the chromatic players don't play with the, the diatonic players, and it was very separate. And they also felt that the you couldn't do certain things on the diatonic, but that's why you switched to chromatic. I found I could take a lot of my technique from 20, 30 years on the diatonic and bring that to the chromatic. And I thought, I thought there was stuff I could take from the chromatic later on and bring it back to the diatonic. So I find the two, even though they're very different, there's a lot of similarities. And I tried to yeah, work on true. those I similarities. Yeah, I think you're right. When uh, I picked up the chromatic, I didn't feel like I was starting over. Yes, I think they are too, and and uh, I encourage. I always as a my as a teacher because I know you teach a lot, and I teach, and you know, and uh, I try and let my students know that it's important. If 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 you have an interest in the chromatic and and an interest in diatonic, you should not put one down. Never put it down. Keep them both going. If you like both instruments, you can keep them both going. Homework, I could work as a session musician, and, and I was able to do that. Can you uh, take us a little bit back in time and um, talk about how was uh, the scene as a pro harmonica player back then when uh, there were uh, many studios? Yes. And How did you get into that? Uh, yeah, let me talk a little bit about that because that was interesting. So, like I said, um, this was sort of like towards the uh, the mid '70s. I was finishing up college, trying to figure out what I was going to do. Towards the end of the '70s, I really realized that I needed to get into New York more. I was only a half hour away in New Jersey, but I really realized that where it was happening was in New York. In New Jersey, I was playing with blues bands, and then I started playing with wedding bands when I started adding the chromatic, because then I could maybe do more standards. I started learning some standards, very basic. Um, and But in New York City, you could go in and, and maybe 
really diversify. So what I did is I made up a, a cassette tape because that's what we had back then. Uh, I made up a cassette tape of a couple of different styles that I could put on this cassette tape. And I brought it to my brother's guitar teacher in New York City, this guy, Alan Hanlon, who's no longer with us. And he on a, a, over by the Ed Sullivan building, he had a guitar studio with guys like uh, <clears throat> Barry Galbraith and Sal Salvador, great jazz guitar players. And, uh, and these guys would teach out of this studio. I used to go and watch my brother take guitar lessons, and I met this guy, Alan. So I took my cassette tape over to Alan one day, and I said, um, do you remember me? He go, oh, yeah, you're, you're Mario's brother. Yeah, you know, oh, you play harmonica. Uh, well, let's listen. To, you know, I said, well, I have this tape. And he goes, well, I don't need to listen to it. And he picked up a phone, and he called his friend who owned a jingle house. You know, they made commercials, right? And he said, oh, I got this kid here, and his name is Rob Paparozzi. Yep. Oh, Toots Thielman? Oh, he could play circles around Toots Thielman. I'm going like, no, no, no. He was he was trying to get me a gig, right? And he go, oh, okay, I'll send him right over. So he sends me over to meet this guy, Jack Zimmerman. And Jack puts on the tape and he's listening. He's going, yeah, you know, you can play. You're, you're, you're good, yeah. He goes, well, we don't use harmonica that much, but sometimes we do get a call. And if we do, we'll give you a call. You know, this was around 1979, going into 1980, right? And uh, I went back home and never heard anything. And then sure enough, one day I get a phone call. We need you to play on a yogurt commercial or something, you know? And I took my box of harmonicas and I went in. I had chromatics, I had diatonics. And uh, that was my first jingle. So that was my first official gig where I was hired. And then I realized I had to join the union. So I went over I was already in the union in New Jersey, but I had to join the New York union. And after I did that, little by little, I started getting my name out. You know, it's a word of mouth business, as you probably knew when you came in to New York City. If somebody hears you and you do a good job or they like what you play, oh, why don't you call Ivonic? Because, you know, he can he could do that. And and, you know, and that's how I started getting some calls. It was all totally word of mouth. Um, and, it, and they also liked that I was in the union that I could, cause back then the union gigs were like maybe on Broadway. And then I would get, I got a call once to do a Broadway show or a jingle or a movie soundtrack. And little by little, if you do a good job for somebody, you could work. I found out there was already guys in New York, like Don Brooks and Toots Thielman and Blackie Shackner. And this guy, Mike Chimes, um, was a great player. And uh, even Charlie Layton, the late Charlie Layton, who was really known as a recording engineer, but most people didn't realize he was a wonderful virtuoso on the on the chromatic that used to play in harmonica bands in the 30s and 40s. And uh, I'm, I would like to ask you, uh, which uh, Broadway show did you play? Because sometimes I teach uh, Broadway actors, harmonicas, but they have a, a very oh, small okay. part you know, into, yes. uh, in, in, in the show. So it's not like they can uh, hire like a full-time uh, harmonica player. So. Yeah. so did you sing also? Well, no. Well, well, back then, you see, back then they had more chairs in the orchestra, and they had the union. The one good thing the union did is said, if you want harmonica in yeah. your show, you have to hire a harmonica player. You've got 28 musicians. You've got 28 seats in that orchestra pit. Put a harmonica player on there. We don't want the violin player to play harmonica. Now, 
the producers got cheap and right. the guitar player, yeah, man, I could play a little harmonica, you know. And then what do they do? They call Ivonic, they call me. Hey, man, I got this gig. How do I play this? You know? <laughs> and they really, but back then, so they hired harmonica players. There was a show that I went to see called Shenandoah, and it was on Broadway. And I thought I heard, I said to my, my girlfriend, I said, is that, you hear harmonica? And she said, yeah, I think so. And we looked in the playbill, and sure enough, it was harmonica. And it was, uh, the harmonica part was uh, Richard Heyman, who was a famous conductor and arranger. He wrote the harmonica book. He also played harmonica. But he had left New York, and Mike Chimes was subbing on that show, and he was playing the harmonica part. So I realized that you could get hired as a harmonica player. Well, a few years after that, I got called to do an off-Broadway show called Memphis is Gone. It wasn't very big. It closed in about a month. I played my harmonica. That was diatonic, mostly, on stage. And then I got a call to play in a show called Big River, and they had a harmonica chair, and it was very country-oriented. Uh, Roger Miller wrote the music, and they wanted some country music on the harmonica. And I ended up getting a call for that, and I got the job. You played half the show in the pit, and the other half of the show, they put you on stage with a costume, and you played some of it up there, and you played some of it in the orchestra pit. But I turned it down. I didn't take it because I had, my daughter was just born. I had just bought a house and I had started a day job. And I said, I'm not giving up my day job to go play in a Broadway show because I got a family to support. And they said, are you sure? This is a big job for you. This is playing your harmonica on Broadway. I said, yeah, but it might run a month and it might run a year and then I'm out of a job, right? So I turned it down and they gave it to this guy, Donnie Brooks. And Donnie was a great country harmonica player who came from Texas, played with Judy Collins and Waylon Jennings and Johnny Paycheck. And uh, he did a great job. He wrote a lot of the parts for these songs and they transcribed them. And that became the book for Big River. Donnie called me up once the show became a hit show. They won seven Tony Awards. And he said, look it, he goes, I need a sub. We have a hit show here and there's a harmonica chair and they like you a lot. They know who you are and could you come and sub for me on this show? And I said, is it at night? <laughs> and he said, yeah. <laughs> and I said, okay. And I went and I subbed for him for uh, maybe about three years. That show ran for three years. And that was, now we're talking the mid-80s, 84, 85. Did Honor build a, a harmonica named Big River uh, by that show? You know, they never told me that. They didn't tell me. Um, they, Honor, the Honor Big River was mm. not made yet. So I often wondered if when they came out with that Big River model, if it had anything to do with that Broadway show. I don't know. Uh And it just turns out that I play the Big River uh, harmonica because I, to me, it's inexpensive and I can get a good sound out of it. A lot of harmonica players that are into like overblowing and things, they, they don't like the Big River very much. Uh, they want a golden melody or a special 20 and, and that kind of thing. What is your setup for gigs, club days? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Let me tell you a little bit about my setup uh, for gigs. 
<clears throat> what I do now, since I told you I like the big rivers so much, we'll start with diatonic. I use the big river and I use Blue Moon. Tom Halchek has a company called Blue Moon and they make combs. And I use the Halchek, uh, the Blue Moon combs on a big river because a big river is so inexpensive. Once you put the plates from a big river on one of these nice combs with the cover plates, you have a pretty nice instrument. It's not a big river that's very leaky anymore Makes with those plastic cones. So I use a lot of those for my diatonics. I also use stock big rivers if I don't have time to put a comb on them and, and I can get a decent sound out of them. And that becomes my kit, a set of 12 of those and all that one in each key. Um, I mess around a little bit with country tuned sometimes. I do, I do have some harp set up for overblows. I like overblows, but I don't use them as much since I'm, I put so much time in on the chromatic. I don't feel I need to, to really spend a lot of time on overblows, but I want to be able to teach it to my students. So I, uh, I have some harp set up for overblows. Joe Spears set me up a couple nice ones for, for that. And then on um, <clears throat> chromatics, I'm a 270 player. I know you play the 280. Um, and I, you know, I sacrifice those lower notes. Um, and I, I, but I feel, I started on this and I just feel more comfortable. I guess because it's smaller, it's small, similar to a, a blues harp. So I, uh, I even find myself sometimes playing a 260 in my car, I keep a 260 in my car, a 10 hole one, and I can practice it while I'm driving. <laughs> That's small. Wow. Uh, but I use a 270. Now this is one with a lucite comb uh, that I'm holding in my hand. Uh, that was made by uh, Bill Rommel, yeah, who passed away, him. but he was a pioneer in, in as a harmonica technician. Um, so I think they 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 found out that a lot of the old 270s. Um, and even the 280, you know, when they're made with pear wood, um, you know, they could crack. The combs crack, and now you have a harmonica, and you can't get inside of it because it's not screwed. It's nailed. So a lot of guys started making better combs. So I play a 270. Uh, I play stock 270s. I play modified ones. Uh, and I also, I really like the new Honer Ace. Mm. I have the Ace 48, which is a 12-hole uh, instrument and it plays really nice too. So there's, there's some good chromatics. That's pretty much my setup. And what about uh, in terms of uh, amps and uh, mics? Yeah, the microphones. I the I helped Audix design this microphone. It's called the Fireball. You've heard of it. It looks, you know, it's it's kind of short and it has a volume control on it. I helped them when they first started that they were going to get in the harmonica mic business. Uh, they sent one to Charlie Musselwhite and to me and Richard Hunter and all these different guys. And they developed this thing. The great thing I like about the audience is it doesn't feed back. Yes, yeah. So when I'm playing chromatic, even blues harp, um, this is a great mic. And I'll play through like a Fender, maybe a Fender Deluxe or a, or a Fender Blues Junior. Um, and I like Fender amps. They're guitar amps. But I'll use a mic like this, or I'll use the Lone Wolf, the Jason Ritchie model, which is a great microphone. Um, I also use Greg Humans, SM58, the Ultimate 58, and the Ultimate 57. 
great microphones, um, and he puts a volume control on them. Um, and there's even a company uh, called Memphis Blues Amps, and they make a little pedal called the Little Fatty, F-A-T-T-Y-Y, F-A-T-T-Y. And it's just a pedal, and you don't need any battery or, or 9 volt or power. You plug your microphone into one end and the other end, quarter inch into your amplifier, and it cuts back the volume that comes from a normal guitar ramp when you haven't modified the tubes or anything. So the little fatty, what it does is it enables you to now turn up the treble and turn up the bass and turn up the volume and get some juice out of the amplifier without feedback because normally you couldn't turn that up past one or two. I wanted to talk about your Grammy-nominated uh, record, uh, the HOSCAN Soul. I think uh, that was released in, uh, in 2009. It's an amazing uh, CD in which you, you sing, play diatonic, chromatic harmonica, and also uh, bass harmonica. And I love your version yes. of uh, Body and Soul, where you play in duo with a, uh, a pianist, I don't know who, who is uh, the pianist on, on the. Yes, Glenn, Glenn McClellan, um, who's been with Blood, Sweat, and Tears for 30 years. Uh, it was just me and him, and we, we we trade sections back and forth. On this CD, uh, you have uh, 15 tracks. Yeah, I remember uh, listening to uh, Peg, uh, in, on which uh, you play uh, chromatic, diatonic, and bass harmonica. Uh, yes. Can you tell us uh, which harmonica, yeah. which bass harmonica I, uh, it was? <clears throat> what I did is um, I overdubbed a regular Honer 265, whatever that is, the ba a Honer bass. I overdubbed that um, just for texture on some long tones. I played the melody on a Toots Hard bopper, you know. You know, I just kind of, I kind of just wanted to play the melody. I wanted the melody to just be right there. And uh, I did that on a touch hard bopper. I felt that sung the best. And then when we got to the horn lines, I overdubbed the 2016. I liked the sound of that for the horn lines. And I played it up the octave and down the octave. And it sounded like a little harmonica horn section playing the, the horn lines. Boo, 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 boo. And I used 2016 for that. And then when we got to the to the rock and guitar solo, I decided to just do that on a on a big river uh, in the key of C and play it in second position cross harp. And that's how I how I did Peg. Thank and you I very like, much. I, was, I think it sounds uh, very fresh. And you have also this other song, uh, Strange Brew, and in which also you overdub. Uh, Yes, on Strange, Strange Brew, and... I uh, I actually had a a guitar player named Hugh McCracken who passed away. He was a famous studio guitar player in New York City, and he played with Staley Dan and Donald Fagan. But he also was a great bass harmonica player. A lot of people didn't know that. He kept some diatonic harmonicas in his case, guitar case, and he always carried a bass harmonica. And I said, Hugh, I want you to play bass harmonica on Strange Brew, because I love the way you play bass. He was a good bass player. And uh, I played the melody on diatonic cross harp, and I had the guitar player from the meters, Leo Nascentelli, 
play a guitar solo, and I had Hugh McCracken play bass harmonica, and uh, it was fun. It came out nice. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an amazing uh, album. And do you have a, a project to record uh, again? Yes. Um, the project I did after that was a big band project with the Ed Palermo big band. And we did the music of Paul Butterfield, and that's called Electric Butter. And I'm going to be performing with that big band uh, in a few weeks in Pennsylvania at the Reading Blues Festival with Robin Ford as our special guest on guitar. Wow, so that's going to be a lot of fun because yeah. he's, he's a monster. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited, I'm excited wow. about working with him. And uh, my next project, I think... Maybe not as exciting. I want to do a Christmas record. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But you, you have to start now or no? No, for next year. Not okay, this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for next year. But that's okay. what I'm working on. And I do projects from home like you do. I'll send, I just sent some tracks out yesterday for somebody. Uh, I do Skype lessons. Um, I travel around with the Blues Brothers if they got a gig. So I'm a freelance musician. I'm just out there trying to do my thing. Yeah, like you awesome yeah <laughs> all right all right rob thank you again and and um thanks for uh, for being on the podcast uh, today my pleasure thanks for having me all right man every morning i just love that moment of waking up with an idea floating in my head it's not a dream and that's not completely awake that was my friends the great the sweet the talented rob paparazzi I'll be back again soon with another episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And to learn more about Harmonica Studio, you can go to harmonicastudio.ivonicprone.com or just ivonicprone.com. All right. Keep practicing and I'll talk to you soon. Someone here.